This episode contains brief discussion of child sexual assault. If you need help, the National Sexual Assault Hotline is available 24-7 at 800-656-HOPE. Welcome back to the Bad Associations podcast. Today we're talking to Hannah. Hannah and her husband have been physically and mentally out of the organization for about a year now. Her husband started questioning a little bit before she did, and once she revealed her feelings to him, they faded together. In this episode, we talk about the gossip Hannah and her husband endured from their so-called friends, the reasons they were ultimately shunned despite no judicial committees or disciplinary action on the part of the elders, and we talk about Hannah's early life being raised as a sixth-generation Jehovah's Witness in a prominent family. We had a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Can you tell me about the first time you started questioning things? Yeah, it's kind of funny because we were doing Zoom meetings, and it was just a regular meeting night and it was one of the videos in the second half of the meeting and it was Stephen Lett and he was saying the thing about it being the final part of the last of the last days right and I was like hmm I looked at my husband and I'm like does this sound weird to you but full disclosure I was high because I had taken an edible <laughs> and because <laughs> At the beginning of COVID, my anxiety was so high. It was like off the charts. I wasn't sleeping at night. It was really bad. And so um, I said to my husband, I was like, you know, I need to do something. Um, Weed is legal here now. So maybe I should try some cannabis and see if that helps with like my sleeping and my anxiety. And it really did. It made a huge difference. Oh, nice. But um, yeah, and then we started taking them sometimes before the meetings because (laughs) it was just like an easier way to get through. And like, you're sitting there and you're looking at a wall of people's faces. And it's like, I don't know about you, but it's kind of like this big floating head and it's a little bit weird. Like this this face in your living room, like that you're just staring at it. So, I had taken an edible and I felt like that just kind of opened the pathways a little bit and it's like suddenly removes blocks in your mind that you might have had before and allows you to think about things a little differently. Right. So he said the last of the last days and I'm like, this sounds ridiculous. Like how how many variations of this can we get? Like right. we've said we're in the last days. To me, that should be like the last stop before right. Armageddon. <laughs> but now it's the last of the last days. And I'm like, what's it going to be next? The <laughs> microsecond of the last minute of the last hour? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, this is insane. It's like a Monty Python sketch. Yeah. It's like, and it's father's father, and it's father's 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 <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it's so except- ridiculous. Oh, uh, yeah. And at that point, I think. I started when we were watching the 
the Zoom meetings, I started to like kind of scrutinize things a lot more and like things that I would have just listened to and passed off as, oh yeah, whatever. I started to be a little bit more critical in my listening. Mm. And yeah, it just kind of led from there. And then uh, I didn't know that like my husband had already started waking up and one day we were walking and I just started talking to him about some things that had really been on my mind and I had been thinking about it and it bothered me. And he was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, have you thought about this? And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and he like, he started talking about things like the flood and like um, a little bit about 1914. I think he was trying not to overwhelm me, but like, he had been doing his own research and then eventually like we started having like really open honest discussions about it and he kind of presented me with everything that he'd been researching and like I hadn't really researched anything it was just kind of more like a gut feeling like something was off yeah and then he showed me his research I was like oh wow like this is kind of crazy and he he just gave me a bunch of things to read and he's like just read it for yourself like I don't want you to feel weird or overwhelmed but you know like see what you think about this and I started reading these things and I was like holy this is how can any of this be true you know like this just debunks everything yeah and as soon as I kind of got through all that I was like this isn't the truth (laughs) like how can it be you know and it was like I was immediately like I'm awake I'm done wow so we kind of discussed our exit strategy a little bit because um my husband's family is still like all in and my family is still all in my family is less of an issue because we're not close already and like oh, the yeah. relationship's strained, but his family, they're very close and he, he just really don't want to lose that connection for obvious reasons. Right. <laughs> so we, we said, okay, we're going to try like a fade. We're going to, you know, try to take our time. So we would still log into the Zoom meetings and we would report like two hours for the first few months. And then we kind of just stopped gradually like logging into the meetings and then kind of stopped reporting time Hmm. and yeah that was that was the fade it was it went pretty well did you get any phone calls anybody was like was anybody like hey what's going on i haven't seen you at the meeting yeah no well that's the funny part it's like yeah we thought you know we kind of prepared for like maybe the elders are going to come by or maybe they're going to call or want to talk to us Mm -hmm. but we never got any of that like really no we got a couple text messages like you have any time to report this month but nothing nothing (laughs) like and it was just like wow it's clear like how much they really care you know right (laughs) (laughs) so it's kind of funny on the one hand you just like you want them to like just kind of leave you alone and let you go but on the other hand it's sort of like when they don't you're just like Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> like, yeah, you're like, oh wow. Don't you guys care about me at all? Because it, you know, when they're 
when they're doing that annoying stuff where they're stalking you or they're texting you and stuff, it's like they're they're trying to help you in the way that they know how. And like when you know, it's kind of more insulting when they don't, because it's like, wow, you guys really don't care about us, do you? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, is uh, but it's kind of good because then it's like, well, the scales are fully off, you know, like. Yeah. It's you can see everything for what it is. You know, there's no, um, like not that there was a second guessing, but you know, like sometimes you read stories about people being love bombed and trying, you know, like all these efforts to get them to come back. But yep, you know, it's like the love really is conditional, and they just do like the bare minimum of what they need to do, and. Mm that was plain to see so yeah <laughs> do the witnesses like do they know that you're out or what what are you to them in their eyes like are they, are you just like struggling or inactive or like do they know that you're not believers anymore well we have like a really close group of friends so there was about probably eight of us that were really tight-knit and so when I woke up in May last year and my husband was like a couple months before like I said Mm -hmm. we were like well what about our friend group like how are we gonna handle this are we gonna tell them like what should we do and he's like well I think we shouldn't say anything you know if we're gonna fade like we have to kind of just keep up appearances we had like this group chat that we all would talk in like every couple of days or whatever we make plans we used to go to like the pub once a week we know we go to movies we go to concerts like we Mm -hmm. did stuff together all the time right so it was we spent less time with them over the summer like for sure we kind of maybe withdrew a little bit because it felt awkward and a little bit disingenuous you know to Right. be associating with them like knowing that we don't believe it and then yeah you really realize like how centered jw's lives are around the whole belief system because when you're with them and then you don't believe it anymore that's really all they're talking about yeah and it's like oh this is weird like i have nothing in, in common with you anymore like i don't have right. anything to contribute to this conversation yeah I totally relate to that. That's what I went through as well. Just like at first I was like, well, I'm going to try and maintain my friendships. And then you just hang out with them after you've woken up. And it's just, you just notice stuff like they just, they're always, it's, it's 100% of the conversation all the time. Yeah. And if you don't share that with them, you kind of have this, at least in my case and probably your case, it, you know, you just, you don't see them the same way anymore. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we kind of, we did that for a bit, but then um, when they made the announcement about returning to door to door, in our group chat, uh, a bunch of them were like, oh, we should all get together and go in service. And like, all of us are spread out in different congregations. So it would Mm -hmm. take like bit of planning so they were all trying to plan and see what day would work for everybody where are we gonna go blah 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 and so me and my husband were like oh what are we gonna do about this you know like Mm -hmm. (laughs) obviously we're not gonna go in service with everyone right so 
he actually wrote up a, a little blurb and put it in our group chat. And he said that, you know, basically because of his mental health and his anxiety, like he um, wouldn't be feeling like going door to door anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And also like he hadn't returned to in-person meetings and he wasn't planning on returning to in-person meetings. Mm-hmm. And like, they all know that he has struggled with anxiety and depression in the past. So it wasn't like it was coming out of the blue or anything. Right. But the reaction when he put this in our group chat was kind of bizarre. It was like, at first, not a single person replied. Not mm-hmm. one person in our group chat said, oh, like, sorry, I know you struggle with that. Nothing, like nothing. Absolute crickets for wow. a full day. <laughs> and then one of our friends, like, sent him a message on the side, but like, eight hours later or something and she was like oh I just wanted to say you know like I know it's hard and she sent some scriptures and mm-hmm. and the society says it's okay you know to take medication for depression and it's like what the what the fuck <laughs> like obviously it's okay to take medication but it's yeah. weird that like they need to justify it like the society says it's okay you know yeah, yeah and then um It was kind of like a domino effect after that. It was like they were all talking about it behind our backs, but we didn't know. Mm. And one of our friends um, found this picture on Instagram that I had commented on. And it was of a former friend who had left in 2018. And he wasn't Mm -hmm. disfellowshipped, but this one of our friends in our group kind of made it his personal mission to demonize this friend. And he was like, oh, he's an apostate. He's the worst they've ever seen, blah, blah, blah. He's a part of these events. So like, and none of it made sense. We're like, we know him. That's not really his personality. Right. But anyways, after we woke up, we reached out to this friend and we reconnected and, and we saw them, him and his girlfriend, Mm-hmm. on a, a weekend trip so i commented on this picture of him and his girlfriend and i just said beautiful people like amazing photo yeah anyways somebody found this picture which i don't even know how because it was on his profile so they obviously were like creeping on him yeah and shared it amongst all of them and then um my my supposed like best friend who I've known since I was 11 sent me this message and she's like I'm really concerned about this message he it really upset me and I was like why and she's like well she's like it's concerning because he says he's not going to in-person meetings and she's like and you're hanging out with like her friend yeah <laughs> and I was like wait what where did this come from she's like I'm just not sure I'm comfortable with this and you know, she, it was very like a confrontational message, very aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, really, it's none of your business who we choose to hang out with. But I'm like, also, he's not this fellowship. And I'm like, any friendship that I have, like, I'm going to listen to my friend's version and their side before believing rumors and gossip. Yeah. And I said, I would do the same for you. 
And then she was basically like, well, I'm not comfortable with that. And thoughts and prayers have a good life. Wow. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So I was like, are you ending our 30 year friendship? And she took like a while to respond, but she was like, this isn't easy for me. I've given this a lot of thought, but yes, basically. Huh. Wow. And then after that, yeah, like they all, they didn't all have conversations with us. Um, most of them just like sent a message and some of them didn't even send a message and just blocked us and removed us. And that was it. Wow. <laughs> and not... And not because you said, and not because your husband said, you know, we don't believe it anymore and we're not going to be witness anymore. Just because, just because he said, I'm not planning on going back to in-person meetings or going out to in-person service for a while. Yeah. For the time. Yeah. Just, just that. Yeah. Just that. And I forgot to mention too, he had grown like a little bit of a beard. So they were all like, oh, oh." they would whisper and like, ask me like, what's going on with with your like why does he have a beard and i'm like well we're not we're just on zoom so you know what does it matter you know but that was like a you know obviously a huge red flag for them too so well because the whole the whole point of no beards is you know what if somebody's offended by it in the ministry well you're not going out in the ministry anymore Mm -hmm. so what's the problem (laughs) so your friends just like shun you no judicial committees are involved. No. Nope. And they and they just uh, oh, yeah, nothing, see, yeah, have a nice life. No judicial committees, nothing. Wow. So And I um so the one friend, the one who kind of like was circulating this photo behind our back and like sort of whispering in everyone's ear, he's actually a ministerial servant in another congregation. And okay. this congregation that we used to be in. So I actually called one of the elders there that I I liked and kind of trusted. And I was like, hey, like, he's totally, like, slandering us. Like, um, I thought you should know. Like, maybe you can do something about it. And he was like, oh, that's pretty serious, you know. And he's like, he's an MS, you know, that's that's not good. And he's like, like, I'll look into it. Yeah, and he's like, I'll look into it and I'll get back to you. And I waited and then like, yeah, I had to follow up with him. And he's like, oh, I talked to him, but you know, there's not much else I can do. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that's that, you know? Yeah. And it's funny because it's like, yeah, it's wildfire. As soon as that rumor's out there, um, you know, people spread it and share it. And then, and like, you see your follower count drop and you're like people unfriending you and and you're like they didn't even reach out you know like where's the love where's the concern nobody sends like a message saying oh i hope you're okay like is there anything i can do not a single message just so willing to just cut you off on somebody else's say so were you uh raised a witness i was yeah i born in I'm like sixth, seventh generation. Holy cow. Yeah. That's a yeah. long ways back. It is. My my great 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 grandparents. I can't even remember how many grades, but they were like actually one of the first Bible students in Nova Scotia. 
Whoa. And they, like before they were called witnesses and obviously. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like kept going through our family and our, uh, I have a huge, huge family in Nova Scotia and they are mostly all Jehovah's Witnesses. Wow. Real witness pedigree going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Jeez. It's a lot of, uh, pressure when you grow up in that too because of course yeah um they're all very proud of that and very cognizant of how it looks yeah so you know it's always about it's i learned at a very young age it's all about how it looks to other people yes and it's not about what's actually right yeah it's not about actually right or what's actually in accordance with the scriptures or not which is so weird because I just I remember one of the chapters in the greatest man who ever lived book remember that book and it was about Jesus and his followers they were like rubbing they they were taking wheat or something and they were rubbing it in their hands to get the seeds off or something so, so they could eat it and it was the Sabbath and I remember seeing like in the picture there's this like Pharisee in just super garbed up just pointing his finger so accusatory and you know the lesson is that's bad and not to be so like yeah pedantic about the law but that's exactly how they are oh they're, yeah they are like those pharisees they are like the, they're the ones that are just over the top and you know trying to one up each other on who can be the most faithful and all that stuff so yeah it's yeah making it about how it looks it's like they'll never tell somebody well maybe you shouldn't be so easily offended at something it's always like what the most easily offended person wants is what goes (laughs) did you uh did your parents send you to public school or did they homeschool you so yeah they did in the grade primary which is like kindergarten Mm -hmm. and then my mom pulled me out and i was homeschooled until high school and then I said I want to go back so I went back in grade 10 to 12 but that was a fight like I really had to fight with them to let me go back oh yeah they didn't want me to go and then my brother and sister never went to school they were both fully home taught was there ever a time where you realized that the witnesses were weird like not weird but just like different than anybody else I did feel like a bit like I, so I had a cousin that was in school with me, and so that kind of helped. But like, mm-hmm. I was aware that it was different than everybody else. And I do have this really distinct memory of um, at Christmas time, they played The Grinch Who Stole Christmas mm-hmm. in class. And my cousin wasn't there that day for whatever reason. And so I was the only one I had to sit behind like this stand-up curtain and a little chair and like everybody else got to watch the movie and I was behind like this little curtain oh, man. <laughs> like I was bad or something like it was being like a punishment almost right but you and didn't I could do peek around now. and see the movie but like it just felt I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb you know like oh yeah oh there's that weird kid and she's sitting behind the curtain and she can't even watch the cartoon with us <laughs> right and then there's birthdays and you know other holidays and 
that kind of thing where it, for me it was always go to the library or something yeah yeah or just like work on a i remember we had a we had a project like we all made these reindeer headbands where we'd trace out our hands and then like cut them out so they'd be like antlers and then we'd make a construction paper headband and then because it was supposed to be rudolph right right and so we'd have like a red nose and we'd uh decorate it with glitter or whatever and um I wasn't allowed to do that, but what I didn't, I, I, I could only have like a, a, a big black nose on mine because it wasn't Rudolph. Right. Which, which <laughs> looking back is like. It's so a, funny. It's like the it's mental ridiculous. gymnastics, right? You tell yourself. Yeah. And I don't know if like, that was my mom's idea or the, my parents' idea or the teacher's idea or something, but it was like, well, it's not Christmas because you're just a deer. <laughs> like. Like that makes a difference, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Did, did you did you have a tough time making friends when you were younger? Um, yeah. Like I think I was a more insular kid, but I wanted to have friends. Like it was just yeah, I didn't have the social connection of school, and we had witnesses next door that had two girls like kind of around the same age as me okay but they went to school so like Uh I would I would play with them you know like in the summer sometimes and all that but like it was it was clear like we were different Mm -hmm. and um I was always kind of like the weird kid you know my mom was very uh I don't know she was my mom was always sick so she was always on some course some new diet some health kick so it was like we didn't eat normal food everything (laughs) was healthy and like super um hippie right (laughs) like and like um she was very kind of feminist in her attitudes also so it was like she taught me all the proper names for body parts when i was very young so like my so my witness friends next door their mom was very like kind of like the mom on being girls you know kind of foo-foo and mm-hmm. <laughs> hey girls i'm a cool mom <laughs> and uh i remember one day it went over and like somebody had fallen and hurt themselves in their crotch area and she called it a boot jack and i was like well, it's not called a boot jack. It's actually called a vagina. <laughs> and she just about <laughs> fell over. And she called my mom and she was like, your daughter used this word. And I was like, what did I say? Like, I was told that was the correct word. And I was like, what's a boot jack? You know, like, <laughs> so I was very confused. And after that, you know, it was like strained. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. I, I've never heard it called that before in my life. <laughs> It's really kind of gross, actually. It, yeah. We also had like a pet goat at one or pet sheep that lived in our house for a while. Okay. And yeah, so it was a few years ago. I was out in service with some people, and they were like talking about the weird family in their congregation growing up, and it was she was like. Well, they were homeschooled, so of course they were weird. And I was like, well, I was homeschooled. Oh. And they were like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. But, like, 
they had a pet goat that lived in the house and I was like mm, well I had a pet sheep that lived in the house they're like sheep. no 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 but like and they listed off a bunch of other things I was like oh my gosh were we the weird family in our hall like, <laughs> <laughs> my just, like yeah yeah you were <laughs> they're just digging themselves a deeper hole as the conversation goes yeah you are already you know at a disadvantage because you can't have worldly friends but you know further being alienated from people in the kingdom hall too that's got to be tough yeah it was and it didn't really shift for me until i did go to public school and like i was in school with the other witnesses like okay i don't think they were i guess maybe they just thought like I didn't want to be a part of their group. I don't know. Like, it was just, they didn't really include me in anything until I went to school. Okay. And that was, like, the turning point for me. That's when I actually started to have friends and a social life, like, um, things to do and places to go, you know? Right. And I'm actually really grateful for that because, like, my brother and sister, um, they missed out on a lot of social skills and like uh, they still struggle to this day like it's really difficult for them Mm. Uh, my brother has a lot of social anxiety so Mm. you know those things matter they make a difference absolutely was high school a positive overall positive experience for you Oh yeah, I loved high school. Like yeah. I was the weirdo that loved school because <laughs> I I am a social person. Like I love to be around people and um I kind of feed off that energy. So going to school for me was great and like I'm a nerd and I like learning too. So <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was for me like I I I really enjoyed it and I actually felt sad that I missed out on the earlier parts like junior high you know all those formative years sure because I was like oh this is what I missed like this is what I was missing out on right but yeah I just soaked it all up and just like (laughs) fully threw myself into it you graduated high school so where do you go from there what are your goals I guess in life at that point well that's just it like I didn't really have like any goals other than like oh I I got a pioneer so I also graduated a year early because I had skipped a grade when I was being homeschooled Um, we used to get tested by the province every year just to make sure you know you were up to par with provincial learning standards oh okay um, yeah I always kind of tested above so one year I did skip the grade. So I graduated early mm-hmm. um, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to pioneer because I got baptized when I was 11. Oh my God. Oh. Yeah. I was super young. <laughs> yeah. And like my parents, it was always like, it wasn't really any other choice but to pioneer, you know, like yeah. that was the career choice and anything else was just to support you pioneering. Sure. So I never really considered any other possibility. Both of my parents had pioneered before they got married. My dad was in one of the first pioneer schools. 
when they started it. My mom would have gone, but then she had me, which she liked to make sure that I knew I ruined her plans. Oh, <laughs> but so, yeah, it was like this, this whole thing, you know, like you have to pioneer, like you don't have really any other choice. Right. They never really asked you what you wanted to do or what you were thinking of. It was just like, okay, well, you're pioneering. Yeah, And exactly. Yeah. And, um, I had started, like, I had started regular auxiliarying pretty much right away. Mm -hmm. And then I had put in my application for regular pioneering and it had gotten accepted. But then I had a car accident with some friends and it was my car, Mm. but I had let a friend drive and come to find out after that she didn't actually have her license that she lied to me about it. Oh, no. So, like, in the very first aftermath of the car crash she's like we can't tell my dad like she freaked out she had a full-on meltdown and she's like he can't know I was driving like he'll kill me and like there was genuine fear behind her eyes so Mm -hmm. it was her and two other girls in the car so it was like okay well we'll just say like a deer ran out in front of us or whatever like Mm -hmm. my car was completely totaled and we were lucky to be alive it was that bad oh wow so but eventually you know like as these things do it came out that we lied about it (laughs) and that was when i had my first like judicial meeting and in the congregation where i grew up it was like i said because i have so many relatives there was like half the congregation was related to me so i was in the elder meeting with my dad my uncle um another relative and another brother my dad wasn't really part of the committee he was just there right and they come in and they come in hot my dad like comes in he starts off like she's gonna be disfellowshipped we got a stripper of this blah 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 and it's like and the other brothers who's not related to me he's kind of like whoa 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 like calm down take it down a notch like we haven't even (laughs) talked to her yet and it and it was like this little room in the basement with one light hanging above it was really like a police interrogation room like (laughs) i was like okay like what's happening here i thought i'll say i'm sorry you know but i didn't really think it was that big a deal and then my uncle comes and he slams his bible down on the table and he's like you lied to me (laughs) oh my god okay and i was like i'm sorry like i was trying to protect my friend like whatever it was stupid so then yeah they were like well we're rejecting your pioneer application and you're basically like can't have any privileges for however long and but it was just a complete crazy of like I didn't think family was supposed to be in your judicial committee like this is nuts yeah I've heard other stories where that was the case Maybe they're not supposed to, but it uh, definitely happens. Yeah. It was just, uh, I, it was unexpected for me. And uh, like, I was only like 16, 17 at the time. So yeah, it was very eye opening. And I was like truly straight edge. Like I always try to do everything yeah. right. And I didn't really like do anything, you know, that yeah. off the path. Right. You just so I was kind of accident. like, I think I almost felt a bit confused as to like, how did I even end up here? <laughs> yeah. Cause that just doesn't seem like, 
I mean, usually when teenagers go to judicial committees, it's it's usually one of two reasons. It's either it's either sex yeah. or drugs. Not letting your friend borrow a car and getting into a car accident. That just doesn't seem very judicial committee worthy. I mean, well, apparently it is when your family is upset about it. So wow, <laughs> that's just that's just wild. Yeah. But, yeah. That's well. Then again, you know, I've I, I just talked to somebody who was in a judicial committee for holding hands with somebody. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of like it does kind of track with the, the behavior. It's it's like I don't know. You, it, it's like nothing. I don't even think. Well, she didn't have a license, so I guess that was illegal. But you didn't know that, so. I think it was more about the fact that we all lied about it, like initially. Okay. So yeah. it was dishonest, right? So, right. You know, yeah, that's a sin technically. So. <laughs> Still, I mean, yeah, but I mean, kids, kids get caught in lies all the time. They don't go to a judicial committee for it. But maybe, you yeah. know, when you're a when you're part of such a prestigious family and the witnesses, you know, maybe the rules are different for you. Were you, you weren't rebellious or anything? Did you ever question when you were younger or anything like that? Yeah, you know, there was lots of things that happened that when I look back now, I'm like, man, like, why didn't I wake up then? Right. But um, because you're so young and like when you grow up in it, you know, you just kind of, you're always like, well, I'm the problem, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, this isn't normal, you know, like, obviously this doesn't happen in other places sure like you know i was i was uh sexually assaulted by a family member when i was four years old oh man and i immediately went and told my grandmother after it happened and the first thing she did was slap me in the face and said don't lie you shouldn't make up stories like that that's bad and I was shocked. I was like, I, Grammy, I didn't lie. Like, I was told if anything like this ever happened to come and tell an adult, which I did. Right. And, you know, she didn't believe me and immediately, like, you know, sent me away. And then the only reason it came out that it was true was because um, this cousin went and bragged to one of my uncles about what he was going to do. And so my uncle actually told my grandmother and my mother and confirmed it and then they were like oh like this actually happened and then my mom met with my cousin's mom and they like basically struck a deal like okay well we're gonna keep this quiet because this will look bad for my cousin's grandfather which was like my great uncle Mm -hmm. And he was an elder at the time and all of this. And my cousin and his mom were living with them. So they didn't want him to find out. So they were like, well, we're just not going to, we'll just keep it quiet. Like this probably won't happen again. So we'll just bury it. And I'm like, my own mom, thanks for that. You know, but so it never got dealt with. And then um, we always had like lots of family get togethers. We were always like doing lots of family events so I would see him all the time and he would always want to hug me and touch me and I would push him off 
Hmm. And my grandmother got mad at me and she's like, you stop that. You have to let him hug you. You have to be loving. And, and she knew. Making yeah, she knew. But she was like, wow. And so I just remember at that time feeling like this incredible sense of injustice. Of course. And like, I'm, I'm a little kid. I don't, how do I know what's right and wrong? But I felt like this is wrong, like in my core. Yeah. And I, I was like, I don't understand this. Like it just, there was a disconnect in my mind. I'm like, how, how is this right? Like why, how did what I do was wrong? Uh huh. So then I kind of, you know, grew up with, with that. But then to find out later that one of my uncles had abused like two of my other uncles and my aunt. So his two brothers and his sister. Oh my gosh. And this particular uncle went to Bethel and he was a pioneer and everybody thought he was amazing. And all of this abuse that he had done had been prior to him going to Bethel. And apparently he had confessed to one of our other uncles who was also an elder. And his uncle was like, you're fine. Like, don't worry about it. You feel bad about it? Okay, good. And like, just kind of swept it under the rug. But then it all came out like, probably about 15 years ago, he had like a big mental breakdown. Hmm. And um, the one uncle, he found out like about the abuse because he was so young he didn't really know that it had happened he was only two years old when it happened to him right but my aunt she was old enough that she remembered so this uncle and the other uncle went to her and said we want you to file a police report because we can't like you have to be our voice yeah. and she said no because she didn't want to bring reproach on Jehovah's name right and they begged her and they like you know and this uncle when he found out he was very suicidal like he wasn't doing well and and she said no and it was basically like she was saying she didn't care about his feelings <laughs> and and he just couldn't handle it so he moved away from the family he moved like to the other side of the country and it just like kind of retreated from everybody and meanwhile like when all this when he when all this came out what 10 15 years ago um mm -hmm. letters were being sent to Bethel like things came out and lots of higher up people were involved like CEOs people at the branch and again nothing was done and he's still allowed to say prayers at the meetings he still conducts service arrangements he wow. still has privileges and it's like nothing has changed nothing has wow. changed he's exactly the same and there's no consequence for anything i love how was it your aunt that said she didn't want to bring reproach yeah like as if the abuse doesn't bring the reproach like that doesn't bring reproach it's people knowing about it yeah. Like, come on. I mean, if, if you really believe in Jehovah, then you have to believe that he knows what happened. And I, I guess, why aren't these people just petrified of what's going to happen to them at Armageddon? Do they really just compartmentalize it that much to where they just push it away and don't think about it and 
just oh, say, yeah. oh, well, I prayed privately and God forgave me. And I think, and I feel that I've, I'm forgiven. So maybe that's, I don't know. That's just. You develop like this weird mental yeah. compartmentalization, you know, and you're like, okay, I'm going to put this in that box and yeah. this in that box, you know, and they can't like combine or meet, you know, because then your brain will explode. <laughs> you can't handle it. Right. Yeah. It's hard for me to wrap my head around because there are so many stories like this. You know, whether you tell somebody, whether you don't tell, you know, nothing, nothing ever seems to happen. And I was always raised to believe that the Holy Spirit was there and the Holy Spirit would always make sure that it worked out justly in the end. And, you know, you hear so many stories of abusers just going on for decades and decades I don't understand how anybody who's been around can can truly believe that anymore. It's just it's like clearly there is no magical force enforcing justice in this organization. Yeah, and I think that was a big part of it for me like in the waking up process just to learn about the extent of all the um CSA cases yeah. and the amount of money that the organization has thrown at covering these up um yeah. fighting them fighting like change in in um right. reporting and all of that like that was extremely eye-opening to me because i was like you know i still thought that it was our what i experienced in my family was kind of like a more isolated incident and you know yes sure. it was bungled yes it was handled wrong but like you know that wasn't the case in in all every other case you know right. ours was just an unfortunate one just an imperfect men yeah but then like to see it over and over and over yeah. again and like so many stories story after story that was sounds so similar to yep. what our family went through and what i experienced and i was like how like this is crazy to me and the fact that it's so widespread i'm like this can't be if uh, everything else was true this this makes it that it can't be God's organization because there's no way that he would be okay with this you know yeah. or God would be okay with this you know why right. wouldn't he direct things and make changes you know if there's this level of children getting hurt all the time mm-hmm. so for me that was just like you know if everything else if you if, if there was nothing else and there was just this that would be enough for me you know yeah the creator of the universe is like just think think that he would allow that is like the the implications of that and the fact that they fight so hard to not disclose any information that they have on it it's just so and yeah. i don't i don't think that they want kids to be abused I don't think they want that to happen but they don't want people to know about it because the very thing that you're talking about would happen if more you know it's causing their behavior about it more people would question it for sure yeah especially you know and and it's so crazy because if they were to take the proper approach to it and say okay we're going to report these people we're going to give the the law enforcement everything we have how much better would they look how much would would it like just kind of reinforce the idea that okay 
the Holy Spirit did its work. You know, it worked, you know, but instead they're just like, it's a very crazy hill they're willing to die on. Yeah. And to not get rid of the, the two witness rule. Um, did you ever watch any of the Australian Royal Commission videos? Yeah, that was so eye opening. Like it's crazy. I remember when, uh, the prosecutor guy or whatever he was called, um, he, I think it was Jeffrey Jackson and the prosecutor guy just like scripturally destroyed the two witness rule rule right in front of him. It was like something in Leviticus or some, something like that, where, you know, if a guy rapes a woman and she doesn't cry out, then she gets stoned to death. But if he rapes her in the field, then she doesn't get stoned to death because, you know, nobody was around to hear it. And he's like, well, wouldn't a case of child abuse like this count as being out in the field? If no one's around, it's effectively the same thing. And I don't recall what his answer was, but it was definitely not satisfactory. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, they're totally right. They are like biblically wrong about this. I don't, I mean, I don't know how you feel. I personally am not like a believer anymore, but like still, you know, that's their rule book, they claim. Yeah. And the two witness rule or whatever should not count in those cases. And they're still willing to stick with that. And it just blows my mind how much they are tripping over themselves to side with the perpetrators. Oh, I know. And that part is like, to me, that's like unconscionable. Like, yeah, you go into court and you sit on the side of the abuser and like you're supporting him you're like paying his legal fees all of this like Mm -hmm. what how do you justify this you know like what in your mind makes you think this is okay you know but if if it was like that person was a homosexual it would be totally different story absolutely then it would be like there'd be no you know, forgiveness for him, he'd be the worst person, you know? So it's just this whole, um, double standard. It's like the things that they choose to focus in on and say are worse sins or whatever, like there should be a scale, but yeah, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. No, definitely not. I can't wrap my head around it, but they keep the, the people who are still in any inkling towards saying there's something wrong with the way the organization handles something is like, oh, that's just apostate lies. Yeah. And it's yeah. so, like, there is even video of Jeffrey Jackson <laughs> saying, yes, it is a problem, and no, people who bring it up are not apostates. Like, <laughs> he says that point blank. So, how did your transition from, like, living with your parents to, like, did you live on your own for a while? Did you get married? Yeah, so... I, I did live on my own for a, a brief period. Um, my so my relationship with my parents was always strained. Like we butt heads a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents were very uh, extreme. Like I would say they were more fanatical maybe than a lot of JW parents. Okay. Um, my dad, like he he grew up. Uh, JW, but him and his brothers and sisters all left in their teen years, and then mm-hmm. he didn't come back to his until his early twenties. So he did some things, and yeah. he 
he says he has this, had this experience where he was on drugs and the moon turned to blood and he he thinks it was a demonic experience and that kind of scared him and then he came back so you wow. know do with that what you will but um it's kind of a came... kind of a stupid thing for the demons to do then <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know like what the heck so when he came back, he was super, super hardline. Like when him and my mom got married, my mom was 18, my mm. dad was 24, and he didn't let her wear makeup on her wedding day because he was so like, extreme. Yeah. And like growing up, my dad, I remember one time I went to school, I was getting ready in the morning and I had a pair of Birkenstocks as you did in the 90s. <laughs> right. and, I, and I'm headed out the door and my dad's like, whoa, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm to school. And he's like, dressed like that? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I was wearing <laughs> jeans. I have a baggy sweatshirt on. I was like, <laughs> the least least version of sexy you could possibly be. Right. And he's like, you're not wearing socks with your sandals. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh, my like, God. He's like, and then he's like, are you a slut? <laughs> and I was like, oh, whoa. <laughs> That's just... What? Uh, I was Bare like, um, sandal, man. Oh, I don't know. That seems sounds like a personal problem on your dad's part. I know. I think, man. Like, does does he have a foot fetish? I don't know, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it was just so bizarre. And like, um, yeah, there was lots of things like that. Like, I wasn't allowed to listen to certain kind of music because they like research things from the 70s and if it had a 4-4 beat then it was disco and prone to like make you amorous or whatever i don't oh, know Lord. but they were super extreme like in everything oh man so i had a boyfriend from age 16 until 19 and oh. he was also a witness okay and, and like yeah, i kept it on the down low because obviously my parents wouldn't have been okay with it but they knew not. we were friends and anyways eventually what they did find out like they were like you have to break up with him and so we broke up a bunch of times and like kind of carried on in secret but then when it came to the point where i was ready to move out um at that point i had gotten a new car because of the, the one that had been totaled in the accident and they bought it for me um and it was in their name but i was making like monthly payments on it It was just like a cheap chevy sprint it was like yeah nothing right but uh they said what before i was moving out they were like well if you move out like you have to agree that you're not going to start dating you know so and so again and I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I just agreed to it. I said whatever just to get out of the house and, like, get away, basically. Yeah. And I was, I moved in with my aunt and uncle. And they were, like, two hours, it was two hours away from my parents. So, I, at that mm -hmm. point, I was like, oh, there's this huge buffer zone. Like, yeah. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do what I want. Um, But, like, I just didn't realize how gossipy and um spy network that the mm -hmm. organization is at that point like i was still young so i didn't hadn't really experienced it firsthand uh -huh. but there were brothers that in my the new hall that i lived moved to um that would call my parents and report on what i was doing oh man 
And I was like, I'm 19 years old, like I'm an adult. And it's crazy to me that they would report to my parents, you know, my parents would be like, oh, we heard this and this. And I was like, um, he had no right to call you. Yeah. And at this point, my parents said to me, well, as long as you are not married, you're still under your father's headship. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> where did, is this a made up rule? Like, <laughs> wow. And they're like, no, it says it in the Bible, like until you leave and get married, like you're, you'd still be under his headship. And I said, I'm sorry. I don't think that's true. Yeah. Like, but they, they were insistent, but I just ignored it. So then I did get back to back together with my boyfriend. And of course they found out through gossip and spies. Yeah. <laughs> so I lived on my own for about six months and they invited me home for the weekend and weekend. So I said, okay, I'll come and visit. Yeah. I get there, my brother and sister aren't there. And it was like, it was like in, walking into an intervention. Oh my God. They were very solemn. Like they're sitting at the table. Like as soon as I walk in the door, they're like, sit down. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> but now, and they were like, we know that you're dating so-and-so again. And you promised that you wouldn't. So now we're going to have to do something about it. And I'm like, well, no, you don't because I'm an adult and I've, this is my choice. And they're like, well, since the car is in our name, they're like, if you don't agree to our terms, we're going to take it back. And I was like, uh, okay. And they're like, and also if you don't agree to our terms, we'll disown you and you won't be able to have any contact with your brother and sister. I was like, what is happening? Like my brain couldn't yeah. All for really like compute everything. Uh, was this guy you were dating? Was he in trouble a lot? No, that's just it. He was like, he was a nice guy. He was the same as me, you know. He wasn't doing anything. He wasn't in trouble. He wasn't a bad guy. But I think with my parents, like, the thing about them is that they always have to be in control. Mm. And it wasn't the guy that they would have picked. And they wanted to pick who it would be, like, that I would be interested in like they had mentioned this other guy who had had gone to Africa and he got malaria there and then he had suffered like some brain damage and he'd come home and lives with his parents and they're like why aren't you interested in him and I'm like you mean the guy who's learning how to read again like are you serious yeah but like, it was I mean... just he checked off a box in their mind of like the ideal guy and right. the guy that I was dating in their mind didn't check off those boxes so they had written your experience in the watchtower like from the time you were born <laughs> like they pretty much like you know those life stories in the watchtower like they they had written it all down and planned it all out it was more about to make them happy because then they could say well our daughter married this Af this yeah, guy who much. went to africa and screwed up yeah. his brain and and you know for jehovah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Wow, it's it's beyond the pale, I think, even for most witness parents' behavior mm -hmm. that I've at least witnessed. You know, like it's it's beyond. Like that is a story where if I were still a witness and I heard that, I would just be like, "Wow, they're a, they're a little extra." <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? The funny thing is, is that 
it wasn't even like it was their idea. Like this was something they got straight out of the playbook for our family because I had a cousin, the exact same thing. Her parents didn't like who she was dating. They sent her away like to another province and then she married a different guy and then everybody was happy. Like, wow. So that's just the way things were handled in your family. Yeah, like they thought that was okay, right? An appropriate response. Hmm. I'm beginning to see why you're not close to them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I know it's a shocker, right? Right. I am starting to have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> I had had a friend and she, um, her and I, like, we were best friends and she had moved out a year ago like prior to this to the east or to the west coast to mm -hmm. pioneer and work with uh, a family that had also lived in nova scotia and moved the west coast okay and so they were like we're gonna send you to live with her and you're gonna stay there for two years you're not gonna have any contact with your boyfriend and then after two years if you want to get married we'll we'll be fine with that so basically they were sending me from one side of the country to the farthest side you could get before wow. Alaska. Wow. So it was like, and I had never been there. And um, I was like, I didn't know what was there. I was like, I, what am I gonna do for work? And they were like, well, we've talked to this family that like she's she works for does cleaning and they're like they'll they'll see what they can do for you and you can live with her but I was like oh, I like I don't want to move to the west coast and they're like well this is your only option or else we we disown you wow and at that point like my little brother was 12 and I kind of like raised him because my mom was always so sick Mm -hmm. So I was super close with him and the thought of not having any contact with him just broke my heart. Of course, yeah. And I was like, I can't leave him, you know, without, you know, I can't just not have contact with him. Right. And, and they were also like, you can't think about this. You have to decide now. You can't consult with other people. Like it's now or never, like now or you're disowned. So it was really high pressure tactics and it's like if I had been like more realized person I probably would have been like you know screw off I will figure this out like I would have realized right. that there were people I could have gone to and like it would have gotten support from but at that moment I felt like I had no options you know like you just felt like completely trapped. You care about your little brother and you know, you don't want to close that door on him when he's so young. So, you know, in a way you're kind of being selfish So yeah, there. so I, I agreed like reluctantly. And then a week later, basically I was on a plane. I had $50 in my bank account. <laughs> I had no clue like what I was going to do, where I was going, what life was going to be like. I was pretty terrified actually. Hmm. And, um, my boyfriend at the time was very hurt, obviously, and I had tried to like talk to him and explain the situation, but he he was so upset 
it was like understandably and i didn't know at the time but he had like he had put down a deposit on an engagement ring so oh man oh no (laughs) i was like completely blowing up like all of our plans and our our whole like life trajectory basically by doing this your parents were doing it not you but yeah still yeah that's that must have been devastating for him oh yeah 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 Yeah, i got to the west coast and it was like very scary because (laughs) it was my girlfriend that i moved in with she was living in this basement suite that was really like moldy and dank (laughs) it had carpet in the bathroom and i was like oh "Oh my god where have i moved to (laughs) oh god but it it worked out, you know, like I um, met my my husband that I'm married to now and um, I still live in the West Coast. So hmm. it was pretty much, yeah, like set up and made life. So uh, your parents, were they more accepting of your current husband when you started dating him? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, <laughs> great. No, they weren't. So when I oh. he when I told them that we were getting married, um, initially they said they weren't going to come to the wedding because like. And he's a, a witness. Yeah, yeah, he's a witness. He wrote. He also like sent them a very nice letter, like basically oh like asking their permission, which they trashed and was and were like, "Well, we're <laughs> never going to give permission." And he was like, okay, fine, then we'll, we're getting married anyways. Yeah, that was just a formality. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But uh, yeah, no, they said they weren't going to come to the wedding because it was too far, too expensive. And oh, basically, okay. I wasn't important enough to make the journey. Right. When they're the ones who sent you so far away to begin with. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like my grandparents um, were going to come. They said they would come. And so when my parents found that out, well, then they were like, well, this makes us look bad. So then they decided four days before the wedding that they were going to come. And then they just, they showed up. (laughs) They showed up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it was kind of like they they were, a whole attitude was like, well, our presence is your gift. So you should be grateful we're here. (laughs) Think very highly of themselves, I guess yeah if you don't mind me asking like how long ago did you get married like how long have you been married uh we've been married for 22 years now oh okay yeah okay so you you go on and you have your typical i assume is it was it like a typical jehovah's witness young couple life kind of a thing oh yeah i mean it's kind of funny because actually I only just found this out, but when I woke up, um, my husband told me that every congregation we've ever been in since we got married, the elders would pull him aside when we first moved in and basically say to him like the same thing, which was, you're the head of the household and you need to rein her in Whoa. because she's headstrong and you know <laughs> a, a little bit like independent 
and exercise your headship and get her under control in every single congregation we've ever been in. And I'm like, what were you doing? No, that's just it. I, I wasn't doing anything like, and like I said before, I yeah. do have like this strike, strong sense of right and wrong. And yeah. so like, sometimes I would speak out about things that I felt were unjust, but like, I wasn't like a Jezebel in the hall or anything right. <laughs> like going around causing trouble. I'm, I'm a very it, like. I didn't mean to imply that you were to blame. I, I was just curious as to what they would latch on to, and what would cause them to react that way. My mother was, you know, the target of that kind of talk too, and it was literally just for driving to the city to get groceries taking my youngest brother to therapy for his autism just stuff like that like not being at home all day and um, maybe was it were these like rural congregations that you were in um some of them were but some of them were in the city huh yeah Yeah, there's kind of like a a widespread cloth of different variety (laughs) yeah and there's definitely a lot of uh that 1950s style male chauvinism going on too oh but, yeah but like every single hall <laughs> yeah like I think it might have started maybe in my home congregation because at one point I had went to the elders there and I had said like things with my parents at home weren't great like yeah. they were they were verbally abusive at times like I'm very um Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it was a very toxic environment. So at one point I did go to the elders when I was like 17 or 18. And I said, like, the situation at home is bad. Like, it's not good. Is there anything you can do? Because like, I don't want my brother and sister to grow up like this. And they were basically like thoughts and prayers. Yeah. It'll be better in the new system. Rely on Jehovah. Like, Right. And sent me on my way. <laughs> <laughs> and um and then when I got to the West Coast, um, I was pioneering there, regular pioneering, and there was a couple instances there too where um like there was this young girl in the hall and her parents were going through a divorce and her mom was struggling with alcoholism and she was like quite abusive so this Mm. this young girl would come and stay with me and my friend all the time and she was really only um five years younger than us so it was not like a huge age difference but you know at the time 14 19 you're like oh i'm an adult you're a kid right right and and she would come and stay with us and then at one point um the brothers asked us if we would consider fostering her and I was like, are you Whoa. kidding me? Like, we're not old enough barely to take care of ourselves. <laughs> wow. And I, it just kind of blew me away. I was like, no, this is ridiculous. Like, why would you even ask that? Oh, my God. But they were like, well, you know, like, you can take care of her, blah, blah, blah. But there was this one time her mom got really drunk and she burned all of her stuff and kicked her out of the house. And oh, jeez my roommate was away and she showed up on my doorstep and I said okay come in and I called one of the elders and I said 
so-and-so is here. Her mom is just like gone on a binge. She burned all her stuff. Like, what should I do? She's very upset. And he's like, keep her there. You don't in any way let her go home until like, you know, her mom is sober. Like, just keep her there overnight, protect mm -hmm. her. So I was like, okay. So she spent the night and then in the morning, her mom broke into my apartment Whoa. and pushed me up against a wall, <gasps> raised her fist to my face and threatened to kill me if I oh ever my. kept her daughter from her again. Oh my God. And I was like terrified, I was shaking. And then she takes her and goes. So I immediately call the same brother that I called the night before. And he was like, well, what did you expect? You kept your daughter from her. What? I know, he just like left me completely hanging and exposed. And I was He's like- He's the one who told you to do that. I know, I know. But so I was like, oh, okay. Like I was, I was completely in shock. And I was like, what just happened? Like I, I did what you told me to do. And he was like, he was like, no, I told you to protect her, but I never said to keep her from her mother. And I was like, oh, okay, I see how this is. So, huh. you know, whatever. Anyways, the police got involved and then I was called down to like give a statement. And so I'm talking with the, the police about everything. And I mentioned, you know, that she broke in and threatened me. And they're like, well, we're gonna make sure that doesn't happen again. We're gonna put up this order of protection for you and she won't be allowed to come within however many feet of you. Hmm. So I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Like, honestly, because I was terrified. Right, of course. <laughs> I was actually like sleeping with both eyes open and yeah. like a hammer under my pillow. I was so scared. Yep. So then I happened to like mention it to this brother one day and he was like wait you did what and i said no i i i didn't do it like the police did and there he was like oh this is serious and then and then I, I get pulled into another elders meeting and they're like this is really serious that you went and got this order of protection and didn't talk to us first <laughs> i said I didn't go and get anything like the police asked me to give a statement which i did and this came up and then they said we're going to put this in place for you i said i didn't ask them they they said they would because you know i'm in danger right <laughs> like which actually seems pretty logical to me and they yeah. were like well they were like this reflects badly on their congregation and you you shouldn't have gone outside of your position and like we're gonna have to reconsider your pioneering and your privileges and oh i was like God. what is happening here like i yeah i really felt like i was on an episode of the twilight zone or something like breaking into somebody's apartment and threatening to kill them is doesn't reflect <laughs> badly on the oh that doesn't reflect badly on the organization apparently yeah wow like seriously just i know it's it's i'm speechless it's it's like <laughs> such a focus on the outward appearance that they're willing yes. to just throw anybody under the bus to preserve that facade that everything's fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And wow. so, I mean, I think those things, like, you know, they put them in your records or whatever. Yeah. And like, it must have been like a red flag in our, our publishing records. 
like look mm-hmm. out for this one she'll she'll give you a hard time yeah <laughs> it's in every letter of introduction i'm sure <laughs> yeah but i'm like the only thing i ever wanted was just like you know justice and like yeah right and wrong like it seemed pretty clear to me but apparently it's not clear <laughs> yeah i thought jehovah was a lover of justice you know that's i thought that's what it said <laughs> apparently one thing i've noticed is that they they really don't like conscientious people i think that's what they're kind of banking on though like if you think about it like the people that you know witnesses are really kind of trained to target in on are the people that are um dealing with some sort of difficulty in life you know whether that be like financially like their financial status in life maybe their education maybe their mental status you know it's those are the people that they really focus in on and trying to um, recruit and it's because like those people they're damaged they're looking for something um they're easier target they're not going to ask questions if they get something out of it exactly and that's why they always rail against like higher education and people with college and university degrees because those people are questioning those people are critical thinkers and they're not just gonna buy all the bullshit and swallow it and say yeah that's great yeah that was my thing when i was waking up too it was like they just seem so afraid and I just came to the conclusion that, you know, if you have the truth on your side, you shouldn't be so afraid of people questioning yeah, absolutely. it. This is not how somebody who is confident they have the truth behaves. Yes. Yeah. Because truth should always hold up to scrutiny. Exactly. If it's true, it's true. But, you know, what they what they say is true just tends to change over the years, too. Like, yeah. Nobody's out here questioning gravity because it's true it's provable like you can you can test it (laughs) it's gonna be the same outcome every time right right exactly absolute truth isn't going to be afraid of scrutiny right it's not absolutely not their their definition of truth is always changing yes so they start bringing in these videos and then didn't the new songbook or the new bible show up a little bit quickly after that Yes. Yeah. It was all around the same time. Yeah. And that's a funny thing too about the new songbook was um, when they brought up the new songbook, there was a bunch of songs that my husband was like, I really don't like these songs. Oh <laughs> He's no. Like, they're, they're terrible. Like they're hard to sing. Um, the melody's weird. Like I just don't like them. Did you check to see if the bees that were molested song was still in it? Oh yeah. Yeah, well, it's funny. But they they changed a lot of the old songs too, and like oh really, kind of ruined them. I don't. Did they? They used to be jaunty and fun, and now they're just like weird. They all sounded to me like marching band music. Well, I thought a lot of them sounded like Jurassic Park or or Disney songs. Like they were kind of leaning towards like a yeah, you know, yep, something familiar sounding. I haven't heard any of the new songs and I kind of don't want to because um, <laughs> I don't want to upset myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The new Bible surprised me, though. 
you know, when the new Bible came out at the time, I was excited, you know, I thought, oh, this is cool, like, um, but I didn't really realize, like, the liberties they took with the changes oh. until, like, yeah, I started waking up and then, you know, researched things a lot more and I was like, oh man, like, they really took a lot of liberties. Hmm. And, um, <laughs> interpretive uh freedoms <laughs> yeah if you will huh the original new world translation got its fair share of criticism for that but it sounds like they took it a step even further yeah yeah they did yeah and then covid hit obviously i was long out by the time but how was the feeling of oh it's the end it's definitely here now kind of a thing was that something that you went through or did you think it was the end when covid hit no, you know, a lot of people expressed that, that they thought it was the end. Mm -hmm. I kind of didn't really have that same feeling. I just, like I said, I felt anxiety, but it was more about like the lack of social connection and yeah. being able to move freely. I wasn't really so much thinking like, oh, this is Armageddon, like this is it. Okay. Um, but I did have like, yeah, a lot of our friends and, and family, like my husband's sister, um, expressed that. She's like, this is it, you know, she really yeah. thought that was the start. Yeah. Which it's like such a, a chronocentric way of thinking, like everything that's happened in my life is so much more important. And then, you know, yeah. if you know history, even in the organization's lifetime, we've been through worse pandemics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is not even close to what the how bad it can possibly get, but it, it was still everybody was experiencing anxiety at that point. Everybody was, you know, it it wasn't good for anybody. That's for sure. No, um, but that's interesting. I I, feel, I said I feel like witnesses are a bit like they're kind of like doomsday vampires. Like <laughs> the minute anything bad happens, they're they're like <gasps> like all excited and ready yeah. to suck the juicy blood out of it. You know. Oh, this yeah. is it. This is Armageddon. And it's kind of gross and creepy. Like, yes. They would get excited about, like, when the, the war in Ukraine started, mm -hmm. so many witnesses said that too. And they were, like, actually happy about it. And I remember feeling like, what's wrong with you? Like, people are dying. Yeah. Like, real people are dying. And you're here, like, oh my gosh, maybe everyone's going to die now. <laughs> Oh, like, wow. You know, it's just bizarre. It's almost psychopathic. Like It is. Yeah. There are definitely people who are less empathetic than others in the organization and any, anywhere. Oh, yeah. It's so funny because it's like we've been told that when, we've been told all this since we were kids that, you know, the end of the end is coming any minute now. I remember like, hey, <laughs> people who were alive in 1914 they're not yeah. getting any younger and <laughs> we had a lady in our congregation who was born in 1914 so oh, wow yeah so like everybody was sort of like looking at her like oh look how old she's getting she's getting <laughs> real old the end's got to be coming soon and then and then she died and then 1914 was 100 years ago and i think anybody who is alive in 1914's got to be what 109 <laughs> And, you know, they changed, yeah. of course, they changed the, know, the generation thing. Like, what did you think of the generation change? Oh, 
Well, you know, when it happened, I was just so confused. I I didn't understand the whole overlapping generations, like honestly, and I don't think a lot of people do, to be honest. Like they yeah. they make it confusing on purpose. It's such a but reach. I, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And I just remember thinking, like, am I too dumb to understand this? Like, right? Because <laughs> this does not make sense to me. Yeah. And I also remember feeling just like kind of disappointed that I was like, oh, okay, because now the goalpost has moved, right? To some mystery time, like, yeah, you know, now I don't really have any kind of gauge as to when it could be because right. they've moved it. Anybody who knew anybody who was born in 1914, so it's like, yeah, you know, you could be, <laughs> you you'd be somebody who was born in the late 90s. And if, like, somebody born in 1914 watched you, you, then you're a contemporary, and they have to justify their existence somehow, so. Yeah. Is there any advice you have for anybody who's questioning? Yeah, I think that if you're questioning, you know, it's important to listen to your gut, because if something feels off, there's a reason. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot to be said for listening to your inner voice. Yeah. And I think that we are really trained within the organization to squelch your inner voice. Um, don't listen to it. Like if you have questioning thoughts, like mm -hmm. that's that's the devil, you know, that's the apostates, that's the worldly people. But those questions are there for a reason and like that nagging feeling it's there for a reason it's because um there's parts of your brain that pick up on things that maybe you aren't cognizant of but in the in the back of your mind it's going like hey something's not adding up like there's a disconnect here mm -hmm. things don't make sense so if you listen to your gut feeling you know you can start slowly um, start with maybe that one thing that you're questioning or you know something that's always bothered you like do some research take your time but like don't ignore it listen yeah. to it and follow it through and it's funny because uh, when my husband did show me with like the research that he'd been doing he was, he was very hesitant at the beginning, like to send me anything um, from Reddit, like the XJW subreddit or whatever. Right. Because he knew that might kind of be a trigger for me. Okay. So yeah. He, when he did start sending me things from that, I remember the first time it came up, I was like, XJW subreddit. And I did have this kind of like conflicting moment in my mind where it's like, oh, I shouldn't be reading this. You know, like this is this is apostate <laughs> like right your brain is like oh wait whoa yeah but then i did like you know dip my toe in and i said okay well that's not so bad like these people seem not so bad and then i started reading more on there and like you didn't realize it's just a community of people they're all like kind of similar and like-minded and like nobody there is really evil or bad or like this boogeyman that you've been told exists you know yep and they're just all 
trying to make their way through and like support and help each other, which I'm really appreciative for. Like, I think it's a really great community.